Hey there, Kubrick fans. If you like what you hear during this episode, be sure to visit our website at thekubrickseries.com for more episodes and uncut interviews from the series. And you can also consider making a one-time or recurring monthly donation in any amount of your choosing if you'd like to support our podcast. That's thekubrickseries.com. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Kubrick Series Uncut. In this episode, the Kubrick Series is proud to present an interview with actor Derek Lyons. Mr. Lyons has been a supporting actor in some of the most beloved films of all time, titles that include The Shining, Star Wars, and Flash Gordon. He also enjoys interacting with his fans through his social media platforms and his website at DerekLyonsSite.com. Uh, you know the Dawn of Man sequence with uh, Dan um, uh, Dan Richter. Now, Dan was a choreographer and a very close friend of John Lennon, and it's all these connections I had as well with the Beatles and stuff. But you know, he was he was the main choreographer. And he was a mime artist um, who uh, choreographed the ape sequence, Dawn of Man. And um, so my uncle Terry and Dan told me this. I've spoke to Terry, uh, Dan a few times about this. He told me, he said, Yo, you know, your, your uncle was one of these, but you know, you know who he was? I said, don't know. He said, do you remember when the leopard jumps off the side? Because uh, it was in, in, in a set, it made a set. But it's a real leopard. That was your uncle. The, the actual leopard went on his back several times. And Dan, and Dan said to me, your, your uncle was very brave because he was a stuntman then. And he, he was very good move, movement because they had to go to... Um, uh, Regent's Park, uh, and they used to go see Guy the Griller and, and they used to check out a bit like, I think, Greystoke, all the people who became apes in Greystoke, which I worked on with Richard Christopher Lambert, uh, they had to learn the movements of apes and mimic apes. So they would go to the zoo. It's what a lot of actors do. They go and, and, and study animals to, to for their performance. So so yeah, that was done several times, you know, where, where the, the leopard would jump off the uh, – side of the uh, of the kind of cliff they this kind of uh, rock they made and they did it several times i'm not sure how many maybe 10 by knowing Cooper, stanley kubrick it could have been hundreds of times <laughs> So, yeah, so I saw that film, I saw that movie, and uh, so I was very aware of, of Stanley Kubrick, and I'm a massive fan of Lolita, I saw uh, Paths of Glory with Kurt, Kurt Douglas, Kurt. But you know, on that, on that movie, uh, no, actually, when he did, in fact, when, as you know, the story goes, when, when Kurt Douglas did Spartacus and uh, Stanley Kubrick directed it, that uh, Kurt took over, because I think Kurt was a producer, so he was very powerful, and uh, Stanley, I know, wasn't very happy with that because Kurt had power over that film. It was a wonderful film, as you know. Um, so, yeah, so that, that's, that's the interconnection with, with, with 2001. In fact, a few years ago, about three years ago, I was at an event I was invited to. I do these, I've done a lot of conventions, you know, because of Star Wars and Indiana Jones, etc. cetera. Um, and I was at this convention, and I met uh, Keir Gillane and Gary Lockwood. And... Uh, I found them very nice, and we I went and we had a, I've got a great picture of me. We're, in fact, wearing this same T-shirt. That's funny. That's a coincidence. Hello. Hi, babe. Hi, hon. How's it going? Great. Look, I'm at the hotel, and I still have an awful lot to go through. I don't think I could get home before nine or ten. Sounds like you got the job. Right. It's a beautiful place. You and Danny are gonna love it. 
On The Shining, well, I, 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 I worked on it for two weeks. I, I had to audition because uh, he, he chose for his assistant uh, who would be the uh, bellhops or we, we say um, bellboys, but in America you say bellhops. And they chose two two of us and they took photographs. So when I was on, initially on set, I, I wasn't, I knew that it was Stanley Kubrick, obviously, and I went and just did my job. You know, I mean, it was my third job. I did Quadrophenia, Watching the Woods with Betty Davis, and then I think The Shining, I think it was the last one before I left the business for a couple of years. But no, being on set with Stanley, um, I, I've always been a very pers- a person who observed, observes people, being a mimic and, uh, in, and all that stuff. And with Stanley, I just respected him because I, I loved his movies, a lot of his movies, um, you know, obviously Doctor Strange Love, etc., and um, Barry Lyndon and all that stuff. And and so when I I watched him, I just observed him, and he's one of those people. He was very, he was quite a nice. He was he, he wasn't he never shouted. He knew exactly what you wanted. He he. he we did continuous takes. One take, for example, I'm walking through the lobby uh, with my partner. Uh, we meant to be the Overlook Hotel staff uh, at the end of the season, as you know. And I, I did it 30 times, this thing. thing. Uh, and, uh, and it was never used, uh, you know. But Stanley, I've got to tell you this, just because I've got to tell you this as it comes to my head. Stanley came up to me one day and he said, excuse me. And I said, oh, what's your name? I said, Derek. He says, uh, are you a member of Equity? I can't do his voice, but oh, so no, I'm not actually. At 78, I wasn't a member. He said, that's a shame. I said, okay. Anyway, he went up to my friend, Kathy Monroe. And Kathy is the person who says the line as she comes in. Hello, Mr. Orman. And, uh, and I would have had that line, you know, but I should have lied. See, my, I'm too honest. I didn't, because it was my, I was very young, younger then. I was, would have taken advantage of it now, but it didn't. But no, Stanley is one of those people, observe, observing him, I would say he's one of those people who would all, he, if he could do everything, act in the movie, do every single thing, have no actors, no one around, he would love it because he was a perfectionist. And you could see he was absolute perfectionist and everything he did. So the scene that you're featured in in The Shining, it's the it's near the opening where they're, where they're closing the Overlook Hotel and you're by the elevator. Obviously, the sequence when Jack is going for the interview, the actual hotel is not finished is not closing. Then it's just the way it's filmed because when Jack goes in, he's, he's, the hotel is still alive. In other words, because as Jack goes down, goes from um, Walks in to the left, goes into um, Barry Nelson uh, and Barry Denham's office, or Barry Nelson's, uh, you know, late Barry Nelson and Barry Denham, uh, uh, their offices, you know, to get the interview done. Uh, you see me as he Jack walks towards and does a left. There's a guy standing beside the lift holding two um, uh, tan coloured uh, suitcases with, with a couple, elderly couple, ready to get in the lift. So obviously, at that sequence, when Jack goes in, the hotel is still alive, you know, they're still, it's there. And it was because obviously, uh, no doubt after uh, we don't see it, you know, when he go eventually takes over as the, as the caretaker, uh, that, that kind of, that's the next sequence because obviously uh, it, that's the way obviously cinema works. Out of all the movie sets in history, it might sound weird, but I feel like the one I would most want to live in is the Overlook Hotel. That must have been just in an awe-inspiring environment to to be amidst. It was an amazing set, and uh, yeah, it was. It was everything, even hotel lobby. Everything was really perfect, and 
the carpet. I always remember the carpet. Shame I didn't get a piece of that carpet. You know. <laughs> you had interactions with uh, Jack Nicholson during the shooting, didn't you? There was always a rumor after that, after that film that maybe um, Jack was bisexual or something, and it was having a ding dong with me, as you know the word. But no, because I'm not gay myself. But no, no, it was it went around the whole film business. You know, when I every film after that I went on, someone comes up, oh, you know, you went with Jack Nicholson, you went, you know, you went to his dressing room, didn't you? I said, yeah, I did. Yeah. No, so what happened during the movie? I uh, was kind of sh- quite shy then. I still am to a degree, but I've kind of kind of deal with it well. Um, I I went up to him one day and I said uh, hi Jack and then, you know, my name's Derek and he's nice to you know nice to meet you, Derek and uh, so every time I would see him I said hi Jack and he goes hey Derek you know and we just like got this it was this thing where you just naturally get on with it with someone he knew I wasn't after something he obviously saw something in me which he liked and but it's like it's more a kind of spiritual thing I think with people you meet people and sometimes you connect and sometimes you don't. So I did with Jack, and um, obviously I was a massive fan from uh, the movies he did, like One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, etc., King of Marvin Gardens, uh, you know, uh, Five Easy Pieces, Easy Rider, you know. So I knew about all that history. But I said to him one day, I said, Jack, you know, how do you, do you start in the business? And he actually said to me, and maybe I thought, I'm sure it's not me thinking, he said he works at MGM, MGM Studios in the cartoon department. Now, that's true, but he said something like that, you know, I remember that vague thing. So during the movie, I would go up to him, like, in reception, when we were in the Overlook Hotel, and I would say, Jack, you know, how are you enjoy eating these cheese sandwiches, you know? And I think I think it was uh, it was just, I don't know if it was part of the scene, because, you know, stuff was cut all the time. Um, and he said, Derek, I wish they put some fucking ham in these cheese sandwiches. <laughs> and another, I've got to another sequence so, where yeah, it's absolutely true. Um, one day, because, uh, you know, uh, he would go up to the, some of the, there was a couple of girls on the film, and uh, you'd go up to them, and then in those days, the girls had really tight trousers, and, you know, I'm not saying too much for your listeners, but they were very, very tight, in other words, you know, in certain areas. So Jack would go up and go, hey, these, uh, these jeans are pretty tight, aren't they? <laughs> you know, flirt with, with the girls. And then another day, Shelley Devan, she, Shelley was a really kind of slightly um, – She's very ner- nervous, a bit neurotic to a degree, you know, and a lovely woman, though. But uh, Jack one day uh, and we filmed the sequence going, you know, maybe it's the one where I was involved when I was walking down the Overlook Hotel 30, 40, 50 times. And Jack suddenly hits the because uh, he's behind the reception. He, he hits it like this. Hey, Stanley, I get him pretty horny. I'm going to fuck Shelly in a minute. Yeah, she just said everyone was laughing, you know. And then, you know, Kubrick kind of, he just like, yeah, okay, Jack, you know, because he knew what he was like, you know, he's leading man. Um, but they got on very well. Um, uh, so, you, Jack, you know, I, got on, I just, you know, was connected. And I said to him during the film, I said, look, um, I have, because uh, I was actually reading uh, The Shining, the actual book at the time. I got it in paperback and I, I bought it at, at a railway station. And uh, I was reading it through the two weeks. I actually finished it before the end of my two weeks because I wanted to know a little bit about the film. And I said, look, Jack, if I bring that in, and also I've got one through the Cuckoo's Nest book, can I bring it in? Would you mind signing it? He said, yeah, sure, Derek. No. So anyway, it was the last day of my filming. And I brought it down the day. It was going to be my last day, I think. And um, I uh, brought those two things. But I also brought uh, Jack a little present. So at the end of the shot, okay, it's a wrap. And then Jack turns around, walks up to me, puts his arm around me, and says, come with me, Derek. So we go up the stairs, 
a couple of floors to his dressing room. He opens the door, the key, it walked in, closed the door, uh, pressed this cassette tape on with this music playing. I thought, Jack, what is that music? He said, ah, it's, uh, it's Ray Kuda. It's the music for my new film I'm directing with uh, John Belushi called Going South. I said, well, what's Western? He said, yeah, oh, I love Westerns. And um, at that time, I, I knew I was vaguely aware of John Belushi. I did know John Belushi then, but I said, oh, right, great, brilliant. So anyway, I sat down at the, where the coffee table was, and he was to my left, and he had a drinks cabinet there. He said, yeah, do you want the whiskey? I said, no, I'm okay. No. So he, he starts taking his clothes off. Oh, my God, you know, maybe, maybe he thinks I'm gay. I don't know what's going on. But I know he's not like, anyway, he's the first woman, but you do. I'm a younger person. It's 1978, for God's sake. And then uh, so he comes and sits in front of me, and I've got the books in my little, I had a plastic bag with the books in, you know. So uh, I, I, I said, and, you know, I was chatting away. So I gave the book to him and he signed to Derek. One of me's put to Derek, warmest regards on luck, Jack Nicholson. Uh, another one to Jack, to Derek, um, best wishes, regards and luck, you know. So I've got those books signed. In fact, the shiny book I've got signed by everyone apart from Stanley Kubrick, um, which I should have got most of I said, Jack, I've got, I've got something for you, which is a little present. He said, really, Derek? I said, yeah. I said, so I, put, I, had, I had this five shilling coin, which I had since I was born. It was a uh, English five shillings, which is like, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know what it would be in American dollars now, but uh, it'd be about maybe uh, a, a dollar, maybe in respect, currency over the years. So I picked it out. I said, look, I would like you to have this. He said, he said what's this? I said, this five shilling coin. I said, I'd like you to have this, please. And he looked at me, and, and, and it's absolutely true. He said, Derek, are you sure? I said, yeah. Are you sure about this, Derek? I said, yeah. Well, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever given me. And then with that, he had, I could see him, he was welling up. And um, I said, well, hopefully give you lots of luck, you know, things like that. And, uh, but he, he appreciated that. Uh, but I spent about half an hour with him, and uh, he, he uh, I uh, actually did uh, partake in a little marijuana with him. And, uh, hey, Derek, this is pretty good. Me! <laughs> Right here is our walk-in freezer. Now this is where we keep all of our meat. You got 15 rib roasts, 30 10-pound bags of hamburger. We got 12 turkeys, about 40 chickens, 50 sirloin steaks, two dozen of pork rolls, and 20 legs of lamb. You like lamb, Doc? No. You don't? Well, what's your favorite food then? French fries and ketchup. <laughs> well, I think we can manage that too, Doc. Come along now, watch your step. You also became close to Scatman Crothers. Scatman, I loved him. I wish he was like my grandfather as well, because he was he had that kind of voice, you know, like that. And uh, I remember first time, first day, and uh, we went to lunch, and there's a bar there, and, and Jack would obviously go and have lunch outside. I mean, Stanley used to go across the road, uh, and in fact, my friend Kathy had dinner with him once, because Stanley used to go on his own, to a Chinese restaurant next to L Street Studios, still there, and he would eat on his own, thinking. But um, I um, uh, would go to the canteen, and uh, one day I'm standing right beside Scatman. He's in, he's in the front with his tray and his food and my food ready, and uh, he looks at me, and goes, he goes, Derek, says, ah, I, I get that, I get that. I said, Are you sure? Yeah, it's all you got. Come join me. So I went and sat with him most days, actually. And he told me about he was godfather to Sammy Davis Jr. 
uh, he was telling me about his career and uh, comedy music and um, I've got his album here one of his albums here actually which he recorded in the 70s I forget the name of it now I've got it here somewhere but he was a lovely guy you know and I got on so well with him and I, I really loved him I like you Derek I like you <laughs> so tell me what you thought of the movie when you saw it for the first time I actually saw the movie when it first came out in because um, obviously it came out in 1980 I think because we filmed it in 78 why is it taking so much time to come out you know so I went to see it at the Warner West End in Leicester Square and uh, I know Americans say Leicester Square but it's Leicester Square um I went to see it there with my friend and uh, watched it and uh at the time I was kind of disappointed because um it was very slow paced movie. And uh, then there was bits where it suddenly went black screen with like text. And then, then it went on and then again, black screen text, you know, the, the way it worked. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of disappointed. I'm, I'm quite honest with you, but then it's amazing over the years. It's like, even with star Wars, when I've got star Wars, that was like, a, you know, just my first film. And that's like, you know, it's legendary now. It's cult. Everyone knows about Star Wars, you know. Um, when I went to the film business, the music business for a while, they say, uh, CBS Records, ah, oh, it's Derek, Star Wars man, you know. Uh, but The Shining, um, when I tell people, they're kind of quite impressed with it. And it's ama- I'm amazed, obviously, with all these conspiracy theories, with the Apollo mission and, uh, and uh, all that kind of stuff. You know, you've been on a lot of movie sets over the years and, and, and worked alongside a lot of, legendary figures from from Mitchum to Elizabeth Taylor and uh I'm curious is there a protocol for approaching them on set yeah I mean I think it's because uh, I've got pretty good um people skills and I intuition why even when I was very shy and very insecure I was able to uh suss out when it was appropriate I, I did make a few mistakes but not nothing too serious but um, like when I went up to, for example, when I worked on Victor Victoria, and I, and I, I knew, see Judy Andrews, I knew uh, where what school she went to in Warner upon Thames, and my father's one of his girlfriends went to school with her, so that was a connection with her, and and she was very nice anyway. She's she's lovely. Uh, when it went when I went when I went up to Robert Preston, you know, who was also you know who worked with Steve McQueen on um, Junior Bonner. Uh, and it was a big vaudeville star, and uh, he did the film called The Music Man, which I loved as a child. When I went up to him one day, I said, excuse me, Mr. Preston. I said, he says, what's your name? I said, Derek, call me Robert. Call me Robert. So he, he was very nice, and I said, Look, you know, I don't make you feel old. When I was a kid, I used to love The Music Man, 76 trombones on the brain. And so it was very nice, and the same goes for um, most most of the actors. Like, I got, I got, on, very, got on very well, and I got a lift once, with uh, Andy Hopkins, uh, uh, obviously I've gone very well with Jack Nicholson, uh, Oliver Reed, I've got on well with, I mean, Oliver showed me his penis one day on a film set because he had a tattoo at the end of it. Now, he, and he goes, let me show something, Derek. And, uh, but it was, that was a thing called Castaway, a Nick Rogue film. Uh, and I knew Nick very well, um, it was well, his son, Wardo as well. Nick Rogue, yeah, did, did, Nick did direct that. Yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, that's what he would do as his party piece. We were in the bar one day with a few of the crew, uh, and then he just got his penis out, you know, and there we go. But, but no, I like Oliver Reed, uh, 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 and I got on very well with Onella Mutti, uh, the Italian actress, because I worked on Flash Gordon for about eight weeks, Dino Dorentis movie. 
and obviously Timothy Dalton, Brian Blessed, uh, Richard, Richard O'Brien, you know, Rocky Horror. Uh, but I just kind of got on with them. I, maybe because I, the way I looked, I was got a so, kind of soft face, and uh, I don't think I was a, f- a threat to any, any of them. So I generally think that um, I remember when I went up to Elizabeth Taylor, I was sitting with um, Kim Novak's makeup artist, a female w- w- woman who German actually. And I said to her, I was having breakfast with her once at Twickenham Studios. I said, who else is on this movie? You know, she said, oh, um, Elizabeth Taylor, da, 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 da. Oh, right. And I said, and she told me what she was doing. All oh, right, okay. And Tony Curtis, Rock Hudson. And then one, and then one and she said, oh, there she is there. And I looked outside of this window, this uh, cafeteria at Twickenham Studios. And there's Elizabeth Taylor, quite a small lady. And it, I mean, I was quite unimpressed that when I was from a distance, I thought, she didn't really look. She, her hair was dishevelled. She looked really good. A few days later, I went up to her and said, "Excuse me, Miss uh, Miss Taylor." Uh, I said, well, "Can I have the autograph?" Because I don't always do that on films, but I did it with certain people. And uh, and I said, and I went up to her. I said, "Miss Taylor." She looked at me. She looked. She stood quite she stood in front of me. Quite a tiny woman. She looked at me. Looked me up and down. Mm-hmm. Like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And she signed. She signed uh, to to Derek. That's what she put. No, but that's the only kind of. I think most most of them. I've been just very um, blessed by most of them I've met, and I don't. I see. I as I got more more confident, I didn't think they were any better than me. Do you understand? Uh, I don't like that hierarchy anyway. That's why I call. You know, there are like my my when I did this film, I did. I mean, two two three documentaries. L Street, nineteen seventy six. Check that one out. I mean, in that with Dave Prowse about the film. People who worked on the first Star Wars film. I mean, a film called Life After Flash, directed by Lisa Lisa Downs, with Sam Jones. Uh, I mean that, and uh, the DVD version is better because uh, I'm more uh, more interviews with me in it. And also a film called Bomb for Life. So yeah, I, I got I got involved with many many people. Most of the people I worked with in my day were act were actors, uh, writers, uh, magicians comedy artists, variety artists, dancers, you name it. And they're all are equity members and much older peers than myself. And a bit like, you know, they all started somewhere. And Roger Moore, you know, Sean Connery, they all did background or supporting work over the time and then didn't broke into doing, uh, you know, um, uh, into into mainstream. So I said, you know, I said, you can call a person that if you're working on Ben-Hur, you know, with Charlton Heston and you see a dot in the landscape, you can call that person an extra because you can't see the face. But when you're next to Harrison Ford and you're doing a line with him or you're reacting and he may whack you or then that's a supporting artist. So that's the way I look at things. And I've been really a supporting artist, a supporting actor, and I've never really wanted to be famous. I just want to be working. Uh, I love the film business. It's a big, it's a big drug for me in, in, in those days. And it still is to a degree. I mean, I'm still uh, going to be doing stuff. I was meant to be doing a film this year. Because of this uh, sad, uh, this COVID nineteen, uh, that's been put on hold now. But um, so, yeah. So I never really looked at any of them being better than me or worse. We're all human beings. We're just actors, for God's sake, you know. But you were intimidated by Robert Mitchum, right? Well, I, I was always a massive fan of Robert Mitchum from films like Night of the Hunter, directed by Charles Lawton, and Charles, you know, British actor who played, you know, Hunchback Notre Dame and many other films. He actually said that Robert Mitchum is one of the best most professional actors he's ever worked with and not stupid because everyone looked at Mitchum as being a piece of beef. Now he wasn't like that. 
you know, he could recite sonnets of Shakespeare, which I cannot. He, he, he could recite anything of Shakespeare's play. He had an amazing brain. And um, with Robert, I remember being on a thing called Reunit Fairborough with uh, Deborah Carr. I was meant to be playing an American, uh, an English son of one of the ex Air Force guys who were here during the Second World War. And uh, you know, Mitchum finds out that he's got a daughter which he, you know, because he had a ding-dong with uh, Deborah Carr. So I'm in that film, and I remember one day I was, uh, uh, Robert would come up to me and say, hey, Derek, did you see in there where they're dancing? Dancing? I said, yeah. If I little, there's so much flatulence in there. If I little match the whole, God, whole goddamn place will blow up, you know. And I didn't know what flatulence meant there, you know. And he, and he would come up to me and say one day, and because uh, I, I looked a little bit, I think what I think, is I reminded him, I've got one picture with him, I reminded him of Christopher Mitchum. Now, I'm friends with Christopher on Facebook. Robert, I think because I looked a little bit similar to Christopher, you know when someone looks like someone, you kind of tend to connect with them. But he would come up to me one day, he went come up to me one day and said, hey, Derek, you ever tell a story about my friend in Vietnam? He had a dick like a donkey. <laughs> he had such, he, he had such, assume up. The other thing he said one day, he says, you know what, another friend of mine, he was, uh, he was in, in Vietnam and he went upstairs to, with his chick and he goes upstairs, you know, two seconds later, he's running down, streaming down the stairs and he, he runs up to me and says, you know, to a friend of his, whatever, I don't, I don't know if Richard was in Vietnam, but it may have been made up and he says, yeah, he said, in fact, the, the, the guy was, the, the chick was a guy, he had a three-piece suite downstairs. <laughs> we, in England, we say meeting two veg because the guy actually found out, he was obviously young um, soldier, and he got up this woman he thought was a woman, like a lady boy as it was, and he come running downstairs. And it was very funny the way Mitchum actually told that. I like this one. He goes, Oh, hardy, hardy, ho, oh, hardy, hardy, ho, oh, hardy, hardy, ho, oh, hardy, hardy, ho. That was from Rachel and the Stranger, I think. But I don't know the lyrics, but. I actually told Mitch that I had one of his album clips, so like so, which is I've got it here's one of my favourite. I've got quite a few of his albums actually. One day I'm in the bar with him, right? I'm this film location at Denham Village, and he, the assistant director was really, really bad to all the supporting artists and very rude. Uh, his name was Andrew, and he was very rude and very derogatory towards the people. And Mitchum didn't like that. He didn't like bullies. So one day the guy walks in. He says, "Excuse me, uh, Robert. Um, uh, you, you have to get on the set now." Uh, Robert has a, he's got his pint of beer in his hand, whatever. Looks up and goes, "Suck what?" He said, "Are you going?" To he went, "Suck what?" And every time the guy asked him, and the guy went totally red and walked out. And then one day, my because in those days we had to phone up uh, central casting, and you pick up the phone and go, um, "Betty, Betty Gray, Betty Grable," and they go, "Not tonight, Betty." And then we go, "I know Schwarzenegger, not tonight, Arnie," like that. So one day this woman's on the on the on the phone to Central Casting to see if it's going to be next work next day, like that. Mitchum grabs the phone off her. This is a true story because I can back it up with a guy called David Edwards, who I'm still friends with from Central Casting. He was like my agent. He, he goes, Robin Mitchum? <laughs> then there's a silence. And then suddenly uh, Dave comes back to him, Not tonight, Robert. <laughs> Robert Mitchum, he he didn't he didn't care. And he, I mean, you know, he, he, he was a good man. I mean, he, he, a film we did, I think when he did Macau with, um, um, what's her name, Jane Russell. Uh, there's a German director on it, and he, he's been rude to the, the, the background people, supporting artists. So one day, Mitchum hired all this food 
and put put blankets down, and they had this kind of um, what's it called, like a, a picnic on the set. <laughs> you know? well, that's what he was like. You know, he was a brilliant man. I, lo- I loved him dearly. One of my favourites. How did you get started in the business? Did you have formal training? No, I was. I didn't join Equity about nineteen eighty four. Before that, I, I you had to join an agency called the Film Artists Association, which was basically getting actors on the cheap. And so I joined that in seventy five because my father, a bit like Father Peter, uh, knew quite a few of the stuntmen like Nosher and Dinny Powell. He's mentioned him and Terry, Terry Plummer and a lot of the people. Some of them with us and some of them have gone now. And, and Peter Brace and all these other people. We knew a lot of those people. So. That's the kind of way I got in the business because of that connection because my dad got other people in and uh, and that's how I started. But I, I went to, in the late 70s, I went to uh, Anna Schur's Anna Anna Children's Theatre in Islington and we have a few quite well-known uh, actors, uh, kind of mainly kind of Cockney kind of actors, I suppose, who went there. And I only went there for maybe about four or five months. Um, I didn't really get it I, I liked it and then years then years later I, I trained with a friend of mine called Graham Dixon um at the Michael, Michael Chekhov studio it's a Michael Chekhov technique you know um um uh, and I did that for a few years private like lessons with him but I think I've always been pretty natural I've always been able to do stuff you know if they gave me a line I could do it you know and I always hit my mark and um, I just was most predestined. My mum went to see a gypsy uh, fortune teller in at South End. This is like on the coast. We used to go there as a kids, uh, and uh, she went and spoke to this uh, fortune teller, and she and, uh, and she said, you know, one of your children is going to be quite well known, famous, uh, or well known anyway, and and it happened to be me. So that was, she was right, wasn't she? So. I'm kind of known. I'm actually, I'm actually uh, a legend in my. In fact, my friend Spencer Wilding, who's a, who's a um, um, does lots of monsters, and he's a new Darth Vader. He says, you know, Derek, you're a bloody legend. You're a legend, Derek. And, I, and a lot of people tell me that because of my connections with and what stuff. But no, I say uh, I went to normal uh, comprehensive school, secondary school, college, university, just for a year. Uh, and then, I, then at, while at university, I went and did Star Wars for two weeks. And then, then I left university. Um, I wasn't particularly well educated. I, I, I um, even though I've got a BA in cinema studies now, which I did much years later, uh, I, I really uh, maybe I've got a form of dyslexia, uh, and I was very behind on reading and stuff. So because my parents split when I was like five years old, so I, I had a lot of mostly emotional problems with regard to that and depression i mean i suffer from terrible depression that's one of those things um in fact i did i've got this video on youtube and i did it several years ago when uh, the late great um, robin williams died and i used to look uh, you know i loved his humor and it's very similar to my humor and sometimes i used to watch robin williams and say, he's sticking my stuff what's going on and it's not saying that because i got that similar speedy uh nano nano you know kind of thing you know Mainly, you know, I'm very can be really, really fast. My brain works really fast ahead of me, which I have to slow down. Um, but when he died, that really hit me badly. And I, I did this video in, in Forest of Sweden, and I was talking about my depression. Oh, I hide it by doing, like, if you see on YouTube, you see my characters. You go to my website, you know, you see stuff on that because I'm, I'm a martial artist too, and I'm the founder of a, of a martial art called Zen Swim, if I believe it or not. Uh, and, and uh, so I've kind of, you know, I've always had this talent. You know, I can sing, play guitar. 
I've just been very lucky that I've had all this kind of connections and and uh, I don't think I've used my talent to uh, its fullest potential. Be quite honest with you, because I had this fear of being too famous. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be walking out uh, a restaurant and like Johnny Depp and everyone's paparazzi taking and invading your privacy. I didn't want that. Well, do you know, it's really strange. I've done four stunts in movies. One living daylight. Sorry, one in A View to the Kill, where I fall into Zorin's tank, Crystal Walken, where he's shooting everyone. Uh, one on a thing called Mona Lisa, where Neil Jordan um, asked me if I would, you know, take a hit from um, Bob Hoskins, the late Bob Hoskins. And I did. And I went down. If you see it, I'm. I get really knocked down about 10 times. He used to come in, all right, mate, are you okay, son? You okay, son? My arm was killing my shoulder. And I've done a few other stunts. And the thing is, I did that, and uh, they shouldn't, I shouldn't have really done it because it's really stunts, you know, and I wasn't a stuntman. But I did train as a stuntman years later. But I also played monsters. I mean, there's a film called Crawl, which is a cult movie now, um, directed by Peter Yates, who directed Bullet, English director. And I'm, the, I'm one, me and a guy called Dominic Weimark, his father was Peter. Um, his father is um, uh, what, Patrick Weimar. He's dead now. But me and me and um, uh, um, Dominic were the main white slayers in the film. We were involved with this tiger, and we kept it, we're in the set. And basically, long story, cut a long story short, they we were in this twenty two hundred pound costume, uh, and you can hardly run. We're in this rostrum, which are up high. We're encased with a Perspex in front of us, uh, which was put up by the chippies, you know, uh, put, with wedged in, and they put this live tiger in this circle. It hadn't been fed for a few days. They had this slayer in front of us with meat in it, and rather than the bloody um, uh, tiger going for the uh, the, the model, uh, it went for us. It, it went to. I'm there. I couldn't. There's nowhere for me to go. Nowhere for Dominic to go. And, it, and it, this tiger pushes, and they're very strong animals, and it pushes this thing and and puts its claw, its claws, almost pulls the kind of thing away, and they, they have to get the trainer in to take him away. We did it about 10 times. I've got stunt money for that. <laughs> but no, but one of my, one of my in fact, assistant directors, I did uh, a few years ago, um, I was invited to Pinewood Studios to do a talk to uh, up-and-coming uh, young assistant directors um, by my friend Terry Bamber. And uh, his father, Dickie Band, was a very famous uh, direct, assistant director and um, locations manager, etc. cetera. Uh, and he asked me to go to do this talk. They paid me for it. It's quite nice. Uh, talk about my career. And uh, the, my two other people who were involved with Michael Stevenson, who got on the Oscar, who was actually one of the assistant directors on The Shining, funny enough. And the other person was um, Vic Armstrong, who was uh, Harrison Ford's um, and I knew I knew him very well, uh, Vic. And Andy was a friend of mine who I worked a lot with. Andy's brother's assistant director, and and that was me. So each that each other day was like there was me, then Michael Stevenson, and then Vic for this whole week. This kind of special uh, package um, to um, uh, teach assistant directors and give them showing the ropes a bit more uh, on their beginning of their career. So that was quite. And what Terry, I've got this letter here, but Terry said, well, "Good thing about Derek is that." He always was on time, which is not always true, to be honest with you. He was always on time. He always hit his marks and always professional. You know, it's like one day I turned up set on a set, uh, I think with Ted Danson, uh, a thing called Loch Ness. And I've been out of the business for years. I thought I'd go back and do some 
supporting artists work, get a bit of cash. It's about mid nineties, and I go on set, and there's a big crowd of people at County Hall near Thames, Thames, uh, near the River Thames. And out of the blue, I was talking to my friend Michael Leader, who's now departed, and a nice Jewish boy, you know, lovely guy he was. And suddenly, this young assistant comes up to me, oh, "Are you Derek Lyons?" I said, "Yeah." Or could you follow me? And then Michael Leader looks at the rest of them and goes, "Here we go again." He comes on the set. You know, the business is a few years, and he's going to get a special action or a special feature. I ended up. Uh, in a, like a, a bit of dialogue and I'm the guy who I was meant to be a student uh, when uh, Ted Danson because he's investigating it's like a Disney kind of film about a Loch Ness Monster I've got the actual envelope and he gets the slides out and he shows it to everyone this is the this is the truth I've seen Loch Ness and it, it does exist so I, I'm the one who gives them and you see me going up to Cat, up to him give it Give him the the, the envelope, um, the envelope, and I said, "Here is the envelope." And you hear him say something back, but they, I wasn't mic'd up, but you can hear roughly what I say. And uh, and there I got, and it was actually because of Nick Nick Rogue, his, his son Waldo Rogue, who's still friends of mine. He was the first, first assistant on it, and because he heard I was on it, out of hundreds of people, I get chosen. There we go. That's what goes on. And when I worked on Goldeneye, um, Martin Campbell. Because I worked with Pierce Brosnan on a film called um, um, The Mirror Cracked. And it was, Pierce was basically a supporting artist with, along with me. We're in the same scene. He's with uh, Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm with uh, Rock Hudson in the other scene, dressed in this black wig, the Queen's Guard, and, you know, a bit of dialogue. And it's very funny. Guy Hamilton directed that. And so, um, you know, you, st- you kind of start somewhere and, you know, you move forward and, you know, Pierce, but yeah, Martin Campbell, he was he was just really shouting and screaming all the time. Even Pierce looked at me quite a few times, lifted his head up in the air, my God, you know. Um, but uh, there are a few out there. And John Frankenheim, he was also pretty nasty. Um, Michael Winner, he, he was he was nasty, but he, he you know um, he was all right with me. But uh, some do have attitudes, sadly, you know. George Lucas, fantastic. Steven Spielberg, fantastic. Uh, Peter Hunt, uh, who directed um, A Magic Secret Service, who was a friend of mine, who directed, um, um, who was a remain editor, director on a lot, a lot of Bond films. And I worked with him for like eight weeks at Pinewood. As I stood in for an actor and, and um, you know, on the last days of Pompeii with Olivia Hussey and Franco Nero and, and uh, Ernest Bugnine and, you know, you name it. Well, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a question about Star Wars. Um, what I'm curious about is we all know Star Wars as the the phenomenon, the pop culture uh, earthquake that it is today. But back when you did it, the very first one, so little was known and expected of it. And I'm curious, it, it, when you're on that set and you're looking around and you see a guy dressed up like a dog and all these robots and things, did you think what the hell am I in here? I'd be quite honest with you, because it's my first job and my first ever time on a film set at Shepard Studios on H stage, one of the biggest sound stages at the time in the UK, uh, where they built the Masasi Temple, uh, the metal bearing scene, obviously, because I'm metal bearer and also the rebel got on a guard in it. And I'm in a f- about three or four scenes all over the place. But um, I think that when I was on it, I was just fascinated by being on a film set 
the, the, the smell, the tangibility, uh, the, 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 the um, you know, the robot R2-D2, you know, obviously uh, Kenny Baker was in, my late friend Kenny Baker. It was just, I was just fascinated. I was excited to be on the film. And no one knew, people were, there was all these rumours uh, saying, you know, they're going to make more of these and and then maybe toys coming out. We I think we heard that stuff then. It's just like, you know, things get said and, you, you know, Chinese whispers, I don't know. But, um, but no, I mean, I got on very well. Carrie, uh, Mark Hamill, um, uh, we went, went on one of the set, Oliver set, and we had the this pictures taken together, and I got on very well with him <clears throat> because we were born the same date of birth, 25th of September. But Harrison Ford, he, he was kind of quiet, you know. He, um, he just talks like that, you know. That's, that's more Mitchum, actually. I can, I can actually... I, I can actually almost do it. It's almost like crossing Mitchum and, you know, because it's like, uh, yeah, okay, kid, you know, okay, kid, you know, it's kind of like that, you know. Uh, oh, that's good. I, that's the first time I've actually done it, you know. But, uh, but, but no, um, I used to drink, I used to go and have a, a, a plowman's lunch with Peter Mayhew, Chewbacca, most days uh, at, at uh, the uh, pub in, in Shepton. And yeah, we had great times. I mean, I said I didn't know, I didn't know it knew, and it was just obviously when the film was released, and it went like unbelievable, phenomenal. And um, I never, no, we didn't really, we didn't really. It was just for me. It was my first film. Other people have been working in business before, before me, and they obviously were very, uh, you know, it was just another movie, just another paycheck. I think that there's a few, apparently, a few stories went around about some of the background people, supporting artists, uh, who were kind of. Being a bit rude to uh, Mark Hamill and uh, saying things. There's always a few of those. I, I know I won't mention names. I know who, who these people were. Uh, one of them's dead now. I know. I, I know he's. Um, he would have been. I can tell you. I don't care. His name was Peter Dukes, and uh, I, I didn't really like him that much. And he uh, he would have been quite sarcastic, and he would say things and do stupid things on set. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't like. I know he's dead now, but he was much older than me, and he was always a bit. Um, yeah, well, I did quite a few films with him actually, but he always tried to embarrass people, and I think he was one of the people who actually may have said something under his breath towards Mark Hamill, because I think Mark mentioned it in some other uh, interviews uh, about the um, people. But generally, they're very professional. Most of them, you know, most of the people supporting artists. Um, but I say it was our first job. I, I don't. No, I didn't know, and it's obviously. Like I'm a, I mean, I think I say for me, the first three films are the best, you know, Jedi and Empire Strikes Back. The rest of them, I don't really have. To, I haven't even seen the new ones. I've seen Rogue One. I haven't seen it because I don't really want to spoil my memory of, of, of what I saw. I saw The Phantom Menace. I took my son to see the. We had the opening in the local cinema and I cut the tape with my child, my son. But um, no, I'm not really interested, you know, in that really. Uh, but I mean, I love working on Star Wars. I mean, my favourite films I worked on was Flash Gordon, Indiana Jones, uh, and the Bond films. Really, uh, yeah, they're kind of and The Shining, obviously, uh, the, the kind of films which I always stay in my memory. You know. Before I let you go, I have to ask you about something I read, and I don't know if it's true or not. But what I read was that before his death, you struck up a friendship with Marvin Gaye. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, Marvin Gaye. I can tell you a bit about Marvin, me, but Marvin. Um, when I left the business, uh, in I, 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 I did three films, which was Shining, Quadrophenia, and Watcher in the Woods. Then I, that was uh, towards the end of 78 to 1980, 81, I worked in Carnaby Street, which is the famous street in London, 
uh, in a, a record shop called Rock Dreams. And I got that job, you know, because those days you can walk into any job, say, oh, can I work? Yeah, start tomorrow. So I was there for a few years. And in 1980, I, I would go out and get them because it was quite good in those days. Could you, cause I, so I'd go get some coffees to my manager, Rod. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, here's like, some money from the till. Go and get some coffees. So I used to go around to Marshall Street, uh, which is literally around the corner from that. But I went straight down Carnival Street, turned left into Fulbright's Place. And I saw this guy from about, I suppose, 100 feet away. And I immediately recognized, I'm very good visually. I knew, and it, it came to my head, Marvin Gaye. Now, previous to that, when I was at university, in, when I did Star Wars, my music teacher called Bruno, who looked like John Lennon, he had the glasses, you know, he said, Derek, I want you to listen to this album, which is what's going on. So it's the only reference I ever knew of Marvin Gaye. So I see him, I went up to him, and it's almost like a predestined thing. I do believe in that, that kind of stuff, connections. I went up and said, hi, Marvin. He goes, hey, baby. <laughs> like that. And I said, I said, you know, what's going on, basically, you know, that kind of thing. And, he, and I said, what are you doing? I said, well, my uh, assistant, Jim, is getting some uh, fish and chips for me and all that stuff. And I said, would you come with me? I'm going to get some coffee. Would you come and meet my friends? So he left Jim in the fish and chip shop, didn't tell him, walked along Carnaby Street with me. And I said, I'm with Marvin Gaye. It's kind of weird, you know. But I didn't really think he's a big superstar. I knew who he was, but I was like, well, Marvin Gaye, you know. So having worked in films before that, I was like, kind of not impressed, you know, and he was a very nice man. And I went down and, and took me into the poster shop with Maria, a Spanish girl. She kind of, her eyes wide, went wide open. Oh, oh my God. And then Billy, he's got a friend of mine, Billy, who actually, was actually good friends with uh, um, David Bowie and, and Brian Ferry. He was, he was like, shocked. He was, my God, you know, and he spoke to them. And he said to me, then Marvin said to me, oh, Derek, is there a, uh, uh, a health shop near? I said, yeah, there's Cranks. I worked at Cranks actually before I worked at, yeah, I did it for about two weeks there. So I took him there and I actually ended up paying for some vitamins he had. I had some cash on me. And eventually I actually borrowed a loan to Marvin Gaye, uh, 40 pounds, which is a lot of $80, a lot of money in those days. And eventually I got the check back. It's not a problem. But I then did a, a course called EST, which is a kind of American thing, word own hot thing. And then I lost contact with Marvin. Uh, I went to see him at the Britannia Hotel, that's right, and we watched uh, the, the, the final of uh, McEnroe versus Beyond Borg together at this hotel near near where the American Embassy used to be. It's that square. And then I didn't I lost contact for about – I went away to Portugal for four weeks, came back, phoned up Tamron Motown. This is – you can believe this, right? I rang him up. I said um, – because Marvin at that point uh, – that's right, yeah. I said, can I can – I, can you tell me where Marvin Gaye lives? <laughs> And he said, so I said, well, I knew him, and I was at Britannia, and I met him, and this, that, and that. They gave me, he's staying in Hendon, which is like North London. So I eventually got the number, I rang him up, come over. So I went to see him in Hendon. Then he moved to um, Rutland Gate, because he had no money. Then he moved to uh, Park West, which is Edgeware Road. And he, and he was there for three, here for three years. So I was with him for three years. I spent most days with him when I was working on films. I'd go and see him after after filming. Uh, I'd go home at 12 o'clock at night. And then he, my, my grandmother would say, oh, Marvin's rung you. So I'd be on the phone for another hour. And I was just very close to him. And then we, we got on so well. And um, sadly, with a lot of hangers on, uh, a lot of black guys weren't particularly nice around him. Who uh, used him and abused him? Uh, a guy called Fleecy Joe James and people like that who ripped him off. And uh, Marvin, you know, 
And then we did like White Boy being around Marvin. It was that kind of strange, weird thing. And I never took advantage of him, you know. Um, uh, he was always very kind to me. I did a bit of coke with him, obviously, as you do. But that wasn't really why I went around. I just liked being around him. And he said to me one day in the kitchen, he's wearing his white robe. I said, Marvin, why do you want me to be around you? He said, he said Derek, you know, you're pure spirit. You're pure spirit. You know, you're pure spirit. So I end up, you know, eventually I end up going to Belgium, uh, the late Freddie Cusack, who brought Muhammad Ali to Belgium, uh, uh, invited Marvin. And in fact, Freddie was fantastic in Ostend because he, he stopped, stopped Marvin taking the cocaine. And he did smoke a bit of hash there. That was that's better than the cocaine. And, uh, and he started running, boxing. And so I spent about two weeks out there with Marvin. And yeah, so we we're very close. It'll be in my book eventually. But uh, and I, I'd say very. And when he got shot in '84, that was I was living with my girlfriend in Caroline, and it was the most. It was the worst time, apart from losing my grandmother. Um, I cried so much. Uh, I couldn't look. Couldn't listen to any of his records. I couldn't look because it was. I had this connection. I don't know why. I've got loads of photographs. I mean, I can always prove all this stuff, you know. But. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Marvin Gaye was a uh, blessed soul. He, I, 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 he taught me a lot about um, uh, biblical stuff and astrology and you name it. I learned a lot from him. <laughs> 